everyone. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Engineering Greatness, an original podcast series from the American Concrete Institute. And today, my name is Erin Stewartson. I am your host, and I'm a doctoral student at The Ohio State University researching sustainable concrete. And my co-host, an amazing co-host, you guys, this is the first episode ever we have the best with us today. His name is Charles, but he's not just Charles. He's the ACI president for the year 2022 to 2023. Hello, Charles. How are you? Thank you very much, Erin. Good to see you again. Um, as Erin indicated, I'm Charles Mai, and I'm head of engineering at Master Builder Solutions in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, I've been with the company since, um, oh my goodness, do I want to say this? Uh, let's see, since 1987. So that's been you know, quite a while. And as Erin did mention, I'm also fortunate and really humbled to be the ACI president for 2022 to 2023. You know. All right, so now that you know a little bit about him, you don't really know everything about him, right? But we're going to get straight into the questions. So. Of course, today in 2022, a lot of young professionals are trying to navigate the industry regarding uncertainty. So 2020, everyone wasn't really sure what they were gonna be doing, if their job was essential enough. And so they had to pivot. Some people had to pivot, some people got to stay in their industry. But the first question I have for you, Charles, is can you give us a two sentence overview of the journey from your bachelor's degree in civil engineering to your current position as the head of engineering at Master Builder Solutions? Oh my goodness. I don't know if it's uh, a two sentence, <laughs> um, three sentences. <laughs> response. Um, <clears throat> well, you know, pretty much um, uh, I got my un undergrad degree from, um, you know, Ghana. And um, I had an uncle, you know, who was a structural engineer, had his own uh, structural engineering firm. And the thinking at the time was, okay, I would go work with him, you know, basically, and eventually take over the, um, you know, practice. But I wanted to make sure I had an advanced degree in structural engineering mm. you know, before doing so. So that was the primary reason for coming to the U.S. to uh, do my graduate studies, um, basically. Now, I ended up um, you know, getting my master's from the University of Kansas. Um, and then from there, I went to Purdue University and got my Ph.D. And after that, I got stuck. So I didn't stuck. go back. Yes. Oh, okay. I need to understand the stuck part. Why did you get stuck? Well, it was um, a couple of reasons. Um, you know, number one, you know, I left to um, you know uh, go to grad school. My colleagues, you know, were you know started working back in Ghana, right? Mm. So they you know they were gaining uh, work experience, and um, even though from an educational standpoint, you know, I mean, I was, I have my PhD. If I went back without work experience, you know, I would be starting from the bottom, you know, sort of, you know, because I wasn't going to go into academia. So the overall thinking was, okay, let me get some work experience and then go back. But in the process of, you know, um, you know, working, I pretty much fell in love with what I was doing and it's been a great ride, you know, I mean, yeah, it's been wonderful. Wow. So from feeling stuck, then you had, you finally had a, I would say a love for what you did. That's, that's a very big transition from being, feeling stuck to then loving what you do. So yeah. when did you start working at Master Builders or did you have other internships or positions before that? 
uh, I was a foreign student, you know, and when you're a foreign student, you don't have that many opportunities for, um, you know, internships, at least back when I was in school, you mm -hmm. know. Um, so pretty much, um, and also because I was working on experimental research, you know, um, I didn't really have time to do internships because I was working on my projects. Um, and basically when I finished, um, I um, ended up applying, you know, use, you know, um, you know, to different companies. I did not want to teach, even though I had a PhD, you know, that was not in the cards for me. You know, I wanted to work in industry, you know, mm -hmm. and I was fortunate enough to, um, you know, get the position as a research engineer with, um, back then the company was called Master Builders Incorporated, you know, okay. yeah. And I tell people it's taken as, um, you know, quite a while to go from being Master Builders Incorporated to go to Master Builders Solutions. Mm. Very interesting, yeah. I love that. Okay, so let's see. You were stuck and you started loving what you did. And then you, when you finished your PhD, then you applied for a job and then you got the job as a research engineer. But how did you go from being a research engineer to now being head of engineering? I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of distance <laughs> that we didn't cover there, Charles, and you need to explain to me, please. Right, <laughs> yeah. want to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of interesting, you know, back when I started, um, you know, Masabilla Solutions is a global supplier of uh, specialty construction chemicals um, in the um, um, in in the concrete market. You know, basically, and um, I, even though my background was in structural engineering, you know, keep in mind that was the initial thing to go into structural engineering. When I got the job here, I got into materials, you know, mm. which is totally, totally different. You know, so. Uh, very different from being a structural engineer, but it essentially opened up a whole world of uh, opportunities for me. <clears throat> you know, so I basically, you know, went from being a research engineer to managing, you know, the engineering group down in the lab, and then eventually moving up to the um, engineering, the external technical support group, you know, which is engineering group uh, up in the marketing department. So I do interface with the lab but then I have more of an external focus now. Um, in, and my main interaction is with, um, you know, uh, design engineers and design professionals and, you know, contractors and so on. And that's what really makes it exciting because no two days are the same. Yeah. Oh, okay. I feel like a lot of people say that in the industry, no two days are the same in the industry. You don't know what's going to happen. Okay, yeah. so you felt stuck. You got your degree, you went to master builders, you started as a research engineer, and then you kept on going up the chain, basically learning how to, I guess, increase your responsibility and do well with the increased responsibility you gained or you were offered. Okay, so young professionals, if you hear that, you cannot always start at the top. That's the first, that was one of the first things Charles just said. It's okay to start at a entry level position and keep working your way up. That's, that's how you gain experience. All right, so let's go back to my questions. I'm gonna look back to my questions real quick. Sure, yeah, right, yeah. Okay, let's see. Oh, well, I guess you already kind of answered this question. One of my questions was, was there an event or a set of events that changed the trajectory of your career? And if so, how did you navigate it? And you basically just gained the love for your position. So exactly, um, yeah. would you say that being flexible or being adaptable is a great skill in this industry? Oh yeah, not just in, in this industry, in any industry, you know, mm -hmm. you have to be flexible, you know. Um, and again, I got into this position, as I indicated, because um, uh, when I got out of school, I did not want to teach, even though I had a PhD, 
Uh, I was a structural engineer. Uh, a lot of structural engineering firms that I applied to, you know, basically liked me, but then didn't want to take a chance on me because I had a PhD. And they felt having a PhD, you know, my main interest was academia. And I'm going to be asking you a question about that soon, Erin. So get okay. ready for that. You know. <laughs> um, so they felt my main interest would be um, in academia. And if they took the chance of hiring me after maybe a couple of years or something, I might decide to go back into academia. You know, mm. so they really didn't want to do that. And I was fortunate to get the job at Master Builders because they had just started the engineering research lab and they needed somebody with um, experimental research background in which I had acquired during my master's in uh, PhD uh, you know, work. So I went from structural engineering you know, to materials. Then I saw the opportunity right there. You, know, you talk to a lot of design engineers, you know, what do they like? They like knowledge and materials. And here was a perfect situation where having the structural engineering background, I could basically couple that with my mater the materials expertise that I gained and really be able to provide um, you know, service to the design community. You know. Now, bottom line is uh, it's highly unlikely that you're gonna be working um, you know, in the same field that you trained. You need to be flexible. You need to look at opportunities. And it's been wonderful, honestly. Uh, you know, being involved um, at Massabilities uh, gave me the opportunity to get, to get involved with um, ACI very, very early in my career, okay. you know, because the company does truly um, um, engage in, a, in all these standards development organizations, not just ACI, ASTM, PCI, and all of those um, in the different groups. But I ended up getting involved in uh, ACI a long time ago. And just like I've, I've been reading about you, you need to be engaged, you need to have the passion and essentially just um, seize on the moment and the opportunities that come your way. You know. Yeah. So now that said, Quick question for you, you know, okay. yeah, oh yeah, yeah, definitely, you know, because I'm looking at your background and it's, why on earth did you decide to go into civil engineering? I can tell you why I went to civil engineering. <laughs> Let's see, why did I decide to go into civil engineering? That's a great yeah. question. So yeah. when I was a kid, um, I would say I didn't really know what engineers did. I didn't really know how they did things either. I didn't, not, not gonna lie, I didn't know how to spell the word for a very long time. Um, but I was talking to my mom about um, disasters because both my parents are from Jamaica and they both um, lived through hurricane. I, I can't remember the exact name of the hurricane, but both of their houses were completely destroyed. And I was like, that's not fair to you guys. And they were mm -hmm. like, yeah, I mean, we built our own houses. We, we, made, we thought we had, you know, had the best materials. We had the best, um, the best, you know, I guess the materials to build something that would be resilient. But when the storm actually did come, it did not stand. And so that got me thinking about how can I change the materials that people build with so that, because they have the knowledge on how to build, but how can I change the materials on which they build so that their structures can actually be resilient. And when I found out who did that kind of stuff, it was, well, first you had to understand how to build and that was civil <laughs> engineering. And then for me, I always want to look at material science engineering, but 
I took a chemistry class in undergrad and it scared me away. And it's crazy <laughs> today um, because I'm in materials. Um, I'm in materials research. I'm still not a material science engineer, um, like taking all the classes about the exact mm-hmm. atom that you're working with. But I'm using materials um, to help, I would say, aid the con- construction industry and mm-hmm. working towards sustainability. So. That's definitely how I decided I wanted to be a civil engineer. I remember someone said civil engineers protect people from people, protect people from the environment, and then protect the environment from people. So we're superheroes. That's what they call this. Exactly. And I was like, I'm trying to be a superhero. <laughs> so that's actually why I decided to join civil engineering. I didn't grow up with, um, I would say, with people in the construction industry in my family. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up. I mean, everyone built their own houses, but it wasn't because we had our own businesses. It was just because that's something you did. That was a normal thing. And my mom was like, so what? I built my own house. What are you trying to tell me? I was like, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. This is you, mom. <laughs> but I'm learning a lot of cool stuff in this program. And um, I that, so I think that's why I went to the, the civil engineering um, side. But I definitely was looking for more materials applications that I found in grad school. Yeah. Now, based on what you said, you know, I, I think I now understand you know, why you have to focus on concrete. However, that said, you know, I'm reading your um, uh, synopsis and you are in environmental engineering, right? Yes. So yeah. <laughs> how does concrete play into that? <laughs> okay, so that's a great question because I didn't know either until maybe two years ago um, mm-hmm. when I first started my PhD program. So in civil engineering, I did not get a lot of the chemistry background that I think maybe um, other other schools gave. We focused more on geotechnical engineering. So that was actually my undergraduate degree. So I learned a lot yeah. about soils. And I learned a lot about foundations and um, just anything with geotechnicals. So I was excited about soils, foundations, disaster, levees, all this stuff. And then I was in ACI <laughs> as a club. And um, I joined ACI because they said this is the most, I would say, um, low committed club. They called it low committed, but that was a lie. Okay, we were out here making canoes at 3 a.m., pouring concrete. Um, but the interesting thing was they were like, this is something you can just learn about. Like you can join competitions. They can give you a prompt and you have to try to meet, have your, have your specimen meet the prompt basically. And for me, that was like my first view at experimental research um, and seeing and having an informal option for experimental research without having to do data and data analysis. We I mean, you do data analysis, but it wasn't for like a public, you weren't supposed to get published off this research. So if you messed up or if you thought you messed up or you failed, you still have another chance to try again. And so when I started to see um, the sustainability aspects of concrete, I was saying, we're making all this concrete. Where is it going? Like. Who is it affecting? Um, are there any communities that that are affected by concrete plants? Are there any communities that are affected by cement? And then when I learned about um, like the CO2 emissions that are produced from mm-hmm. producing one kilogram of cement, I personally made it my, I wouldn't say my goal in life, but definitely like a side goal <laughs> um, <laughs> to try to get, to try to be able to make concrete more sustainable because I think concrete is an amazing material. Concrete is an amazing mm-hmm. production that man has created. But I would love to see the sustainability of concrete increase, especially with um, research that can be done by students. And um, and this is not something that like you have to you have to have a PhD to do. Like I was doing it in undergrad, but I think that doing the work in graduate school and looking at how the environmental engineers see chemical bonds, see um, ions, see alkalinity is very interesting to me. That's what I think that's what actually made me switch over from my structural background because I was supposed to be doing structures, 
Okay. But I realized I don't like designing as much as I love chemistry now. And so I switched over and they were all saying, come to the dark side, come to the dark side. I was like, I don't know if I can. I have no <laughs> chemistry background. And I did a lot of work on the back end to try to get myself acquainted with chemistry. And it's helped me understand a lot of the positonic reactions, a lot of the right. um, corrosion reactions dealing with concrete as well. So I think that's why I really went over to environmental engineering. Oh, and also my research right now focuses on carbon. And so a lot okay. of carbon, a lot of carbon analyzation is what happens in environmental engineering. And so that's another reason why I really appreciate the, I would say the look that environmental engineers have, how they first started the chemical and how they first started the atom, rather than looking at the damage that's affected by concrete and wondering how that happened. We start at the molecular level first. Yeah. Right you. Okay. Now, uh, sort of threw me off a little bit because when I was in school, right, you know, talking about environmental engineering, you know what that was all about? It had water. to do with water Ooh. and wastewater, <laughs> water and wastewater, you know, so that's what I'm trying to, you know, mm -hmm. get a handle for, you know, is, is that your focus or it's not? It is not my focus. No. Okay. okay. Um, I actually realized at Ohio State, they said that all the classes I have taken so far would be yeah. a civil engineering material science focused major even though but I just, they just don't have one so it, that's what i have been doing i've been taking material science classes as well um but okay. i have i'm now taking enough classes to have an environmental engineering major that's okay basically what so the environmental engineering is just in quotes you know yes <laughs> yes i would say that i am very i'm an interdisciplinary engineer that's what i would say there you got go it. Got <laughs> it, got it. now you did you did um you know um mention a couple of things you know um so i want to just Hop on that as well. You talked about canoe, you know, building yes. canoes and everything. So I presume yes. you were also very much involved with the um, American Society of Civil Engineers uh, student chapter because that's yes, where the canoes get built, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, you yeah. Know? Okay. So tell us a little bit about that experience, you know, because it was okay. still dealing with concrete. Yeah. Yeah, that was, so I started with ASCE um, Concrete Canoe first before I joined ACI. And the way that this happened, there was actually, I had a mentor at the point in time, I had a fellowship that was given to me by my university. And the mentor, she was the president of ACI and Concrete Canoe at the point in time, project manager. And so she was like, hey, I know you're civil and you said you don't really like concrete or care about concrete. I told her that I felt horrible now looking back. Okay, look at me now. But um, she was saying that, hey, would you like to just come and be a part of a community in civil engineering? And I said, oh, Sure, because before I had come in not really knowing anybody and um, I'd taken all my normal classes, but when I finished taking all my gen ed classes, all my friends were in other fields. So I was like, oh, I don't have any friends in civil engineering. So she's like, yeah, we'd like to be part of our community. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, we're making a canoe. She was like, we're, we're a community. And so um, I actually got on the admixtures team and deciding which admixtures to use, which I think is still crazy because now I'm working with admixtures in my mm -hmm. research. Um, and so, that was one of the first places, again, where I got to learn about informal experimental research and also leadership. So I became head of the admixtures crew and then I became a, a mix designer. And so we did like, I would say two or three mixes a week. Um, and then for our big pour, it was a big community aspect again, where mm -hmm. we just kept on pouring different concrete or like creating the hall, making sure the hall was there, pouring the concrete, um, going in shifts. I don't know, it was just an amazing experience. I would say um, being a part of a, project starting from the ground up and that's what that's actually why I like construction too <laughs> um yep. and just being able to I would say fail and know why you failed and learn from it and then also to find the solutions to make sure the failure doesn't happen again um mm -hmm. yeah so I think that's one of the reasons why I like concrete canoe 
and also we all did our homework together as well so it was yeah. like we just learned together we failed together learned together that's a big part of engineering failure is a the, one of the biggest parts that people can learn from i think right, yeah. if you're not used to rejection or failure it's going to be hard to be an engineer <laughs> but, yeah. but you learn from the failure and that's one of my my favorite parts about engineering yeah no i mean this is great you know i mean and um to me it's extremely exciting and i'll tell you why because i don't think you know this um <clears throat> I, you know, Master Builders Incorporated, you know, was the sponsor, you know, for quite a while of the National Concrete Canoe Competition, you know, the real big one, you know. What? Yes. And, um, and personally, I was uh, a member of the, um, you know, committee for National Concrete Canoe Competition mm -hmm. you know, for quite a while until Master Builders uh, stopped sponsoring the uh, national mm -hmm. competition. So I'm very, very familiar with, um, you know, Concrete Canoe, you know, and one of the things uh, that was enjoyable about going to Concrete Canoe was, I mean, that was where you saw the leaders of tomorrow. And we did recruit from the Concrete Canoe competition, you know, so, I mean, mentioning that tells me a lot about you. You are a leader. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, one last thing. It helped yeah. me appreciate materials because all the rules changed every year about what we could use. Well, so like when we I was stopped using silica fume, everything was changing. So I was like, wow, materials really changes um, how you build. So that's exactly. Yeah. And it's a good thing. I mean, when I joined the uh, you know, committee, you know, the, they never really changed the uh, concrete materials as, I mean, the uh, concrete mm -hmm. portion of it. And I said, no, this cannot be, you know, we can't have- It was uh, you. We can't have civil engineers going out there thinking they could use concrete with water cement ratios of 0.8 and 0.9. So <laughs> I think, you know, one of the first year, you know, we set the limit at 0.5. And of course, mm -hmm. that's when they really had to start using atmospheres and everything. And then after that, we kept on, you know, changing different things to throw them off, you know. So yes, you researching, <laughs> yeah, so researching and, um, uh, you know, you know, concrete materials and trying to figure out, you know, what to do and all of that, you know, became part of it. And, you know, from my perspective, it was a great way to have, um, you know, the students learn about materials, you know, concrete it materials. It definitely yeah. was. Yeah, I wasn't learning about every single admixture in class all the time, or, yeah. or at least I wasn't learning and then practicing using it. Like, when yeah. you guys said that we couldn't paint our canoes anymore, we had to figure <laughs> out how to use dye, not dye, but I think it was concrete powder. But then we realized it messed up our water cement ratio. So we were just going back and forth. When I tell you, you guys really, you guys, I think that you guys did a great job looking back now, of course, but in the midst of it, I was like, why can't we use silica fume? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I definitely appreciate that, that change. That, that's, mm -hmm. yeah, that probably really shaped how I think about materials. Wow, that's crazy. This is full circle moment right here. Just want to let you know. Yeah. Connect with thousands of the concrete industry's brightest minds at the ACI Concrete Convention. Held each spring and fall, the ACI Concrete Convention is the world's gathering place for advancing concrete materials, design, construction, and repair. Bringing together the world's most well-known leaders with professionals looking to learn. Okay, let me see. I'll go back to some questions about you because, you know, you're the president. So I'll ask some yeah. questions. Yeah. Okay. So one question I have here is, let's see. Oh, 
Well, I guess we already talked about this. We talked about flexibility and adaptability, but is there a nurse, another personality trait or strength that you would, that you would, that you think someone who wants to be successful in this industry would need and required? Oh, great question. Um, one of the things is, um, I mean, and this translates into everything else, you know, is to be a good listener. Mm, okay. Yeah, you have to be a good listener, you know, and um, as you move up, you know, you're, you're going to end up working in teams, you know, it's highly unlikely you will end up in a place where, you know, you're working by yourself, no matter what, you know, you will end up working in teams and you will attend team meetings and everything. And you've got to be a good listener, you know, listen to other viewpoints, uh, synthesize them, you know, and then uh, say what you have to say, mm. you know. That is always, to me, it's been, it, it took me a while to learn that, by the way, you know, it's, yeah, that it's one of the greatest advice um, uh, that I can give to anyone, you know, is, um, you know, just be a good listener. How, how do you practice being a good listener? Since this is something you had to learn, did you practice? Um, it's just, um, yeah, I mean, it's just making a conscious uh, decision, you know, when you go to, you know, meetings and everything. You know, just to um, hear other viewpoints. You know, you might have some very, very strong um, opinions. You know, and um, you want to make sure you actually impose your, you know, views on other people. You know, mm -hmm. uh, but it's always a good idea, even if you're very, very right. You know, it's always a good idea just to listen to other people and then basically infuse your stuff in there. You know and disarm them you know basically it works you know yeah disarm oh man yeah <laughs> I, those are great those are great reasons reasons mm -hmm. to listen so let's see you said synthesize make your make your um wouldn't say argument but make your position and then state yeah. what you want to say okay. exactly yeah I remember that yeah I and it's a, and, right yeah and it's something also that i do let's say um uh let's say when I write, you know, uh, you know, um, you know, papers, or I put presentations together, you know, one of the things is to make sure that, okay, by the time, let's say you sit through my presentation, you would have formed your own conclusions, which would be pretty much in line with my conclusions. Or by the time you read through a paper that I've written, you know, you would arrive at the same type of, um, you know, final summary and conclusions. You know, yeah. So it's something that I, um, you know, putting to you know both of those, you know, basically, yeah. Okay, okay. Everyone hear that? You gotta listen. Did you yeah. hear it, or did you listen to it? Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, okay. I think I think this is one of my favorite questions I wanted to ask. So, what was your most challenging project you ever undertook, and how did it shape your view of success? Oh, most challenging project. Yeah. Well, there've been several of them. I've been working for a long time, you know, there've been several <laughs> of them, you know. Um, but I would say maybe the um, the biggest one will be, you know, when we developed and introduced um, a corrosion inhibitor, you know, yeah. Now, just to give you a little bit of, um, you know, background, um, you know, uh, for quite a while, there was just one corrosion inhibitor in the marketplace, and that was calcium nitrite. You know, it's a calcium nitrite corrosion inhibitor. And there was a patent on it, you know, which was still active. So, you know, nobody could really, 
you know, develop their own calcium nitrite uh, corrosion inhibitor. Now the patent has expired now. So pretty much every admixture company in the world, you know, has a calcium nitrite corrosion inhibitor. So we did develop our own corrosion inhibitor, you know, an organic based, um, you know, product. And we, I was involved in the uh, development and testing of it. And um, I also got involved with the uh, introduction of the product into the marketplace. And that was one of the times when I really seriously started working with uh, design professional, design engineers, you know, to introduce this technology. And of course, uh, we had to uh, deal with all the competitive, um, uh, how, how do I put it? The competitive blowback, you know, from the other company that had a cosmic nitrogen inhibitor, you know, <laughs> and essentially I got involved in all the corrosion committees you can ever think of, you know, ACI committee 222, you know, I was mm -hmm. secretary and became chair of the, uh, you know, committee. I was involved in uh, the TRB, you know, committee on corrosion, you know, ASTM mm -hmm. committees on corrosion test method developments, you know, I mean, you name it, I was involved in all of them, you know, NACE, PCI, yeah, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that really, I guess, um, made a real, real big, um, you know, difference, um, you know, to me, because it got me heavily entrenched, you know, with all the um, standards development organizations and the trade associations. But then more than anything, uh, that was when, you know, my whole passion for expediting technology uh, acceptance and use mm -hmm. developed. So yes. you can see how that ties into my uh, platform message. Yes, see, I love that. Cause that's what I've heard from many other ACI, I would say um, leaders. They started with one problem that they wanted to figure out. And then they had all these committees that they joined and they had all these companies that they didn't realize were stakeholders in the answer to, um, to their solution. Wow, that's that's amazing. That's because that was yeah. actually one of my other questions. Like, because you're an inventor, okay? Engineers also. Oh yes, uh, yes, <laughs> yes. That's awesome. I do have my name on a patent. Okay, <laughs> yeah. we see. Each other. We it's see. It's expired. Anyway, now, okay. Now, I, I, so I got a question to you. Now we've been talking about me and everything. Let's talk about your research focus. All right. You know, yeah. My research and, currently, right? Oh. Okay, yeah. To, yeah. You, your research focus, and then also what you plan on doing, um, you know, once you're done. Okay, these are great questions because they all changed maybe two years ago. So okay. <laughs> my, my research focus right now is looking at the adsorption properties and reactivity properties of fly ash, reclaimed fly ash, harvest, harvested fly ash, um, and then seeing how we can actually determine them before putting them in concrete. Cause I think before it was just like, oh, this is bad fly ash. Cause we saw that our LOI and our air interning admixture demand is high, that's it. Um, but we wanna be able to look at, we wanna be able to determine that first by looking at the chemical properties and looking at the phase components, um, sorry, basically like different types of minerals in right. the fly ash. That's what you wanna look at. Um, and we're hoping to get, I would say correlations to air interning admixture dosage right now. And this is all to hopefully, I'm working with other universities to hopefully try to change specification ASTM C618, which of course everyone's trying their hardest to change the specification and get it revised. So I'm just a part of a much bigger group of people who would love to see more um, marginal fly ash and unconventional maybe ponded fly ash come into the industry and be able to perform um, better um, than just normal cement. 
in concrete. And my final career path, wow, my, my ultimate goal and career path, I would love to be uh, in spaces where I can advocate for communities who are in environmental justice, environmental justice communities, um, basically where they would face either um, harmful materials or like, I guess, face the negative health impacts of harmful materials, as well as looking at researching, sorry, researching how to put those materials into concrete. <laughs> and most of the material I'm looking at right now is just coal ash. And I didn't realize how much I enjoyed all the, the public policy aspects, mm -hmm. the research aspects. Um, I don't even know how to explain it. It just all happened so fast. <laughs> and I think that's what I would like to do. So right now I'm looking towards having an internship um, on researching fly ash and researching, of course, reactivity and adsorption in order to change specifications, but then also looking at the public policy aspect of it, because there's a really big public policy aspect of how now, we use fly ash in the industry. Now, now let, me, let me get this straight. Do you want to be an activist? This is a great question. That's a great <laughs> question. I'm actually, I'm nervous because there, because like right now, I mean, I went to World of Coal Ash last week yeah. and um, I just heard about some people's careers are, you know, really bolstered by being an activist, but some people's careers can be mm -hmm. very, very, um, I would say, endangered by speaking out against, or not speaking out against, but speaking for certain communities who are, mm -hmm. who are experiencing environmental justice issues. So I am really trying to figure out where I fit in, specifically with research, because I don't want to leave research. I would love for that to be something that I do full time, but I would also love to be able to advocate for communities I know that are affected by a material that I would like to like take out of their community, basically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm nervous. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm hoping that this internship will help me gain a little bit more understanding about what it all entails, because I had no idea about material science researchers. I had no idea about being a public activist and a researcher at the same time. So this is all coming after um, having my mind, I mean, being exposed to all these things in graduate school. Okay, so then, okay, I'm still trying to pin to figure out exactly what you want to do. So basically, are you going to go into academia? Since you're talking about research, you want to go into oh. academia or do you want to work with like one of the uh, research institutes? I would like to work with one of the research institutes. Sadly, okay. I have no desire right now to teach. And I, I talk to my advisor about this all the time because I love presenting. I love presenting my research, yeah. but I don't know if I would love to actually be a professor. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I love to... I would say help people come to a good conclusion based off of all the trade-offs and critical trade-offs that can can surround a decision. So that's what I like to do. Okay. So no academia. So, no. No academia. Okay. So you you basically want to be like me. You know. Now let me tell you. I didn't let me tell you a little, <laughs> Yeah. No. Here's a little bit of a uh, thing. I did teach for three years part time. Did you like it? Oh, I enjoyed it, but I was still doing my day job. It was okay. a night class, you know, so yeah, I was still doing my, my day job, but I ended up having to fill in for um, uh, a colleague. And then, uh, you know, after three years, it was like, well, I had to just give it up, you know, <laughs> but then I do a lot of, but then I do a lot of presentations, you know, mm -hmm. all over. I go to, I attend a lot of conferences, just like you've started doing and everything. So I do fulfill that part of me you know the academia side of me through those um you know um activities now you did bring up something and um okay you're talking about fly ash and you know working with all the out of spec fly ashes and the um effect um that it could have on entrainment of concrete you know which is one of the big you know things okay so here's my question to you what if somebody gave you a product 
that mm -hmm. you could use to essentially make concrete uh, free store resistant, but it was in an iron trainer. How will that solve the problem that you're looking at? Because then, it, I mean, the, you know, whether the fly ash is out of spec or not, it wouldn't have any effect on the um, uh, uh, on the freestyle on, on air entrainment. Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think first I would want to do tests to see if it works with all different fly ashes, because that's what I'm doing now with my current air entraining admixtures. And then secondly, if we actually have enough data to prove that it works with all fly ashes we wanted to work with, then we would have to present that to the people who, again, <laughs> work with, I would say, which admixtures are allowed in certain mixes. And then if those people say yes, then maybe we can bring it up to a even higher, maybe a state DOT, maybe federal, I don't know. I'm still learning about all the, all the, all the layers to, um, to design and then see if those people would accept um, the work that we're doing, but also maybe only started in like one state or maybe one department because not every state needs this, not every state needs, um, I would say the product, but I would definitely say like, Erin, definitely start doing some research first. Erin, you don't know what you've gotten yourself into <laughs> oh, no. because I'm going to put you in touch with somebody who oh. will give you, a, yes, somebody who's going to give you a technology to reach, I mean, to uh, including your evaluations. Okay. And this Thanks. is using, um, you know, microspheres. I, okay, I've been learning about those. So. Yeah, this is using microspheres. And in fact, um, um, I think if you go back, uh, there was a paper that was written, I'll send you all this information in later on, you know, but, um, it does not involve using entering in atmospheres. You know, it's a packaged material. You add it to the concrete. It provides a, a microspheres. These are hollow microspheres, and they mm -hmm. pretty much provide freeze-thaw resi resistance to concrete. So yeah. we'll then allow you to use off-spec fly ash. That's cool. You see, okay. you just add it on to your research. You know, and so guys, this is exactly why you got to have conversations like this, because I had no idea. Um, definitely, you probably hear about this at the next ACI convention in Dallas. Yep. Are you going to be there, Charles? You're going to be there? I don't think I have a choice, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think we're running slightly low over time. So how can people get, I wouldn't say get in touch with you, but how can they learn from you? Because you have such a wealth of expertise. Do you have any videos? Do you have, you taught before, do you have any... I guess, places where people can reach you? Any favorite ACI committees people can come and say hi? Um, well, I mean, I think over the next year, you know, it's going to be tough to catch me on ACI, you know, committee, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. However, uh, since you brought that up, one of the things as ACI president is, um, you know, you have to, or you get to write the president's memo. Mm -hmm. And you actually write 11 of them. You oh. know, yes. You know, and those appear in Concrete International, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so every month you get to read my uh, president's memo. Now the first one uh, was published, uh, you know, this month in the May issue of Concrete International, um, and of course it talks about my signature, um, in, uh, you know, uh, platform message, you know, which is expediting technology acceptance. Now. The thing that you're going to find interesting is the next two um, titled 
uh, the quest for low carbon concrete. Ooh. And parts one and part two, you know, I started writing, you're limited to about 750 in words, you know, I mean, that's what stuff tells me, you know, I'm limited to 750 words. I started writing and before I knew it, I was about 800 words, you know, so I decided to go part one and part two. So um, you will find them very interesting, you know, so I would say be on the lookout for the June and July issues of, um, you know, Concrete International, but pretty much every month, um, you know, through next, um, you know, March, I will have a column, you know, okay. a memo in there, yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, you heard it here. President's memo, you gotta read it, June and July, right? June and July? They're dropping well, well, June and July. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but every month, it's gonna be every oh, month, yeah, yeah every but the, month. The, the, the June and July are the ones that focus on the uh, low carbon concrete. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, and then so, of course I have a catchy one for, um, you know, August, you know, um, I'll tell you advanced title, uh, fiber in my diet strike out concrete. <laughs> guys, this president is too cool and you guys have to get to meet him, but first you gotta read these president's memos because that's where he's gonna be telling about his life, his passion, okay? So mm -hmm. I also know that you do have a couple videos on university, ACI University that you teach. There are a couple seminars. I looked them up, not gonna lie. You looked them up, okay. All right, okay, yeah. If you ever yeah, want to learn something about him there too, they're free for you. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Okay, if you, this is the last, last question, I promise, last sure. question. If you could go back to graduate student Charles, mm -hmm. what word of advice would you give him? And would it be different from first industry job, Charles? Oh my goodness. <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, um, I wouldn't change anything, mm. you know, and, I, and I'll explain to you why, um, you know, I, you know, go back uh, and I look over, um, you know, my life and everything. And it's amazing. It's been like a building block, mm. you know, so one thing feeds on the other. And even though, okay, um, I majored in structural engineering, you know, got my PhD in structural engineering, did all of those nonlinear, you know, you name it, all of those, took all of those classes and everything, you know. Um, I ended up in materials and it's been great, but then I interface currently with a lot of structural engineers, you know. Mm -hmm. So to me, nothing, uh, and also being a person of faith, you know, I can see the building blocks. Yeah. You know, yeah, I can see the building blocks of the soap. Um, it's, um, no, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, you know, I, I okay. wouldn't change anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So accept things as they come, roll yep. with the punches, yep. be a mm -hmm. good listener. I think I remember that one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and even if you're stuck in a job, it doesn't mean that you can't learn to love it and excel where you are. Okay. Exactly. Well, guys, you heard it here first. This is the President Charles Prince Charles. <laughs> and we just had an amazing podcast at our first inaugural episode of Engineering Greatness, an original podcast series from the American Concrete Institute. My name is Erin Stewartson, and your name is... Charles.
Charles and Erin, thank you so much. You did a great job. Wonderful job oh, hosting thank it. You, thank yeah. you. We're so excited to have you here. So we're signing off. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.